What does this election mean for the economic situation in western Oklahoma? Well, that we can't be sure of. But what we can be sure of is that we can't predict how this... Stick him up. God, <laughs> Jesus. Don't sneak up on me like that. It's a good way to get punched in the head. But you know that headphones in the ears is the universal symbol for don't talk to me? Uh, I thought that was for women to keep creepy dudes from harassing them. Well, there you go. Consider the concept transferable to me. That hurts me, Dan. Speaking of which, come this way. Come with what, me. Oh, come where, where are we going? What, what is this place? Trust me on this one. I sense you've been a little misguided as of late, my little podcasterino. I think you could use a little uh, insight into your future. No, no. What are you getting me into here? Don't worry. This isn't one of our usual freaky trips. This is a real-world expedition. Uh, I don't like all this mystery. That's why we're here, isn't it? To make the unknown known. To make the mysterious... Unmysterious? Yeah, you got it. Welcome, welcome. Come, take a seat. Oh, come on, man. We're supposed to be getting some work done today. Shh, shh, shh. We will, we will. Just indulge me. Come on, come on. Sit, sit, sit. <sighs> you seem troubled. Tell me, what is causing you this stress? <laughs> You're the psychic. Aren't you supposed to tell me? <clears throat> Don't be rude to the nice magic lady, Dan. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I, I don't know. I, I'm working hard to produce this show, and I guess I don't know if it's going to be worthwhile, if it'll mean anything in the end. Ah, uh, yes, yes. You worry what the future will hold for you after all of your efforts. Oh, that is on the money. She's good. Looking at you, I sense you are heading towards the middle stage of your life. Transitioning. Exploring new things. Uncharted territory. Wow, incredible. How do these people do it? Good question. So, how does this work, anyway? Palm reading? Crystal ball? Don't be ridiculous. I don't deal in mumbo-jumbo. I use tarot cards. Now, let us see what lies ahead. Hmm. Ah. Yes? Oh. Wait. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. What? What does it say? I'm sure it says all kinds of stuff. Hey, hey, pipe down, cynic boy. I see. Years of hard work. <laughs> yeah, no shit. But also, great rewards in the distant future. Great rewards? Did you hear that? This thing's gonna pay off after all. Yeah, sure. So is my Subway Rewards card. But you must beware. There are also very treacherous waters that you must navigate carefully if you wish to avoid disaster. Hmm, interesting. I sense your skepticism. That is good. Your mind is alert. Knowing the future can be a risky venture. Uh-huh. So things may be good or bad or neither or both. I really don't want to be here. Can we go? Nobody leaves. Not until you have paid the ultimate price. Ultimate? Fifty dollars. What? Fifty bucks? Hell no. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's all good. This was my idea. Um, pay the nice lady, Danny boy. I'll hit you back. Let's just get the hell out of here. Uh, thank you for your time. You are deeply troubled. Now, I cast thee out. Wicked ones, be gone. We're begunning. We're begunning. Jeez, already. That was so much bullshit. Really? How do you figure? Come on. Nobody knows the future. Doesn't it seem a little strange to you that the ones who claim they do always seem to charge a tidy little fee to share what they know? Why, they can't make a living off their special skills? Well, aren't you the little arbiter of who can and can't do what, huh? <laughs> You're really going to argue that that, what we just sat through, was legit? Hey, I'm not arguing anything. <sighs> you know what? I think I know what we're going to work on for today's episode. Hmm. So, uh, I, I guess this was a worthwhile trip after all. You son of a... You did it again, didn't you? And I walked right into it. Guess some people can see the future, huh? Hehehehe. <laughs>
misinformed content media in association with Feitner Productions. This is Hard No, Episode 4, The Great Beyond. Here we are again, and I can already tell that this episode is going to follow the common thread we've been pulling all along. The con of choice for every huckster since the dawn of time. Knowing the unknowable. And convincing people that you've got the answers. Well, well, well. You already know how this episode's going to go, huh? Who's the fortune teller now, smart guy? That's cute. But it's true, isn't it? Here we have another of the great mysteries of being alive. Ideas of life and death. What is our consciousness? What are dreams? What happens when we die? Where do we go? What does it all mean? There is so much we simply can't know. Wow, you have got a lot of questions. Should we go back to the psychic or... No, 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 thank you. But these are the questions that drive people, sometimes up the wall. They've been the subject of countless studies, debates, works of literature, pop culture, religious sects, self-help groups, not to mention a multitude of exploitative products and services. We've touched on some related themes already in our first few episodes. Health, morality, cultural consciousness. But these ideas of the greater mystery, the question of what lies beyond the physical world around us, might be the most impactful, abstract concept in the history of human civilization. Besides money, of course. Well, yeah, true enough, sure. Besides money. Wow, well, since you're feeling so agreeable today, might I offer you a friendly word of advice? Let's lighten this thing up a touch. All this life and death, mysteries of the universe, it's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, we're two minutes in and already people are going to be running for the hills. Remember, we want to give people easy, accessible content. Stuff that stays with them in a happy-go-lucky, British bake-off sort of way. Not in a haunts-their-dreams-like-midsummer way. Well, geez, I'm sorry if these earth-shattering theological questions are spoiling your breakfast. (laughs) All right. Maybe you're right. Maybe this heavy topic needs some sort of uh, lighter presentation. Something more palatable for all this serious information. Are you saying you want me to do what I do here? Could it be you're finally coming around to my stylings? Uh, Maybe. Just this one time. Well, as it happens, I've got just the thing. How about this? What the hell is all this? It's a TED Talk. Hey, look, you said yourself we needed something a little, uh, different. And people like big brain ideas when they're presented to them on stage by a business casual guy with a lapel mic. Well, that's true, I guess. You look great, by the way. Very spiffy. Ever thought about telling people what to think in a more, uh, professional way? Wait, what to think? I don't tell people what to think. Uh Uh-huh. You're on, you're on. And now... Mildly successful podcaster, author of three articles a year, and creator of some newsletter that fizzled out after seven issues. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dan Felton. Hold up, I I don't even know what I'm going to say. Here, your notes. Now go, 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 go. Uh, um, uh, hi, uh, yeah, yeah, hi, uh, okay, uh, so... I'm here today to talk about the origins of spiritualists and psychics, and the way their industries can exploit some of humanity's deepest-held beliefs. You got them hooked. Go for it, kiddo. And remember, use that presentation voice. Project. Poise. Attaboy. Right, right. In the 1970s, psychologist Julian Jaynes proposed the idea that human beings developed what we would consider modern conscious thought thanks to the development of language. As our language evolved, it bootstrapped simple sensory thought into more abstract conceptual thought. Oh, yes. Start by referring to someone intellectually superior to you. Very nice. From there, Jane's theory was that humans initially misinterpreted their internal monologues to be orders or directions from external sources. 
rather than self-determined thoughts originating from their own minds. During this period, which lasted centuries, humans grappled with this shift from external direction to internal thought, understandably struggling with the unsettling reality that their actions were all up to themselves rather than guided by some mysterious hand. In addition to the impact of this on their own thought processes, they also began to deal differently with the deaths of those around them. According to Jaynes, in early human civilization, when someone died, they weren't buried underground in a nice little box, but rather, in some parts of the world, bodies were actually kept in the home, made to essentially be shrines dedicated to the deceased. And some believed that the thoughts they were hearing in their own minds were in fact the lingering voices of those who had passed, still communicating with them from the great beyond. Yes, look, that guy in the front row just nodded. He gets it. So there was this way of navigating the world where generations believed they were providing each other with a sort of telepathic guidebook to life. As the centuries passed, human belief systems around life and death, specifically, what exactly happens to a conscious being that is no longer with us, became a huge part of how societies function. Most notably, they became the cornerstone of numerous religious ideologies. As belief in the internal mode of thought grew and the external guidance dwindled, suddenly there was a vacuum, an empty void where that sense of guidance had once been. And this is when we start to see the emergence of the philosophical schools of thought and the channeling of voices from the beyond took on new forms. The ancient Greeks consulted oracles to determine battle plans and seek guidance on the future. Many other cultures had seers or diviners who used techniques of divination, such as reading objects that had been cast on the ground, interpreting weather patterns or animal movements. The Romans actually used to watch the actions of sacred chickens before battles to determine their fortunes. Oh, playing the humor card. I love it. Keep it going, keep it going. And of course, this is where we get our first whiff of potential exploitation. Claiming you're able to see what others can't. That you possess specific knowledge of an uncertain future. Or answers to the deeply personal and emotional process of grief. Well... This opens that door to the mountain of bullshit that I am attempting to look at. Uh, uh, don't sweat it, Danny boy. You're building a narrative here. Keep going. The word psychic is derived from the Greek word psychikos. Always with the ancient Greeks and their original words. The concept of a psyche in ancient Greece was related to the human soul, the deepest internal self. Many of our current spiritual beliefs originated from this central idea the inner landscape being tied to the outer mystery of existence. Ancient oracles, modern clairvoyants, psychics, diviners of all kinds have all shared this common claim. Your soul, your spiritual self, and your grander purpose, your place in the cosmic vastness of existence, can be quantified, and only I have the ability to do so. So there's always been a market for spiritual guidance, this concept of seeing beyond. Even astrology, Attempting to understand the world by reading the stars is a branch of spiritualism that's lived on for centuries. And hey, don't we all get a kick out of our horoscopes sometimes? Interesting point. Such a cancer thing to say. But modern spiritualism, in the form we're more familiar with today, really took shape in the mid-19th century across the United States and the UK. That's when the focus really began to hone in on the state of the soul after death. Enter the spiritual medium, a special type of psychic, usually blessed with ESP, extrasensory perception, who could contact and commune with the spirits of those who had died. Uh, uh, uh so, uh, some early cases of well-known spiritualists, um, uh, I, oh, okay, l let me tell you about Daniel Dunglas Holm, uh, a Scottish medium who... Uh. I think you're losing them, Danny boy. Hey, what's your problem with people just trying to provide a little comfort? Yeah, you can't claim to know all the answers. No, no, no. I, I'm only trying to show that there are people out there trying to take advantage of... Criticizing people's beliefs. Yeah, time's up, Jerk. Oh, jeez. They don't usually turn on people like this. God, it's amateur night at the Apollo all over again. Let's get out of here. <laughs> what, or, what the hell? Hey, yikes. 
I guess folks get a little touchy when you start poking at their comfy little beliefs. I barely even scratched the surface. That was all just context. Man, if they thought that was hard to hear. Well, point is, you're safely back in the studio with me. By all means, context away, my friend. Now, before you got the hook, I believe you were telling those ungrateful folks about this, uh, Daniel Douglas home? <sighs> yeah, yeah, all right. On with the show, I guess. So, Holm was a self-proclaimed spiritualist in the mid-1800s who performed seances, materialized spirits, made tables move on their own, and was notorious for his ability to levitate. He even had his fair share of believers who claimed that his performances were 100% genuine, including chemist Robert Hare, who after becoming involved with spiritualism, created a test to measure a spiritualist's abilities. Of course, this so-called test was later revealed to have numerous flaws that were shockingly easy to manipulate. So, you know, not the most airtight science on his part. Hey, 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 Dan, Dan, look, look, I'm levitating over here. Ooh. You just put your legs up on your chair. Now, of course, for every believer, there were also the skeptics. Ah, your kind of people. Take poet Robert Browning, who once attended one of Holmes' seances along with his wife, Elizabeth. During the ritual, Holm reportedly materialized the face of the couple's son who had died in infancy. Yeesh, heavy. But hey, at least it must have provided some comfort to see the face of their deceased son. I'm sure it certainly would have. If not for the slight problem that the Brownings never had a son who died, Holm had barked up the wrong tree. Oh, and the fact that when Browning reached out and grabbed the supposed spirit, he discovered that it was actually Holmes' foot. Ah, uh, well, hey, who doesn't like, uh, feet? Well, suffice to say, after that, Browning understandably turned against the idea of spiritualism and its tactics. His wife, however, did not. Their difference of opinion on the matter would go on to cause problems in their marriage for years to come. A prime example of how divisive these subjects can be. After all, they are some of the fundamental questions of our existence. Does your loved one believe in the soul? In magic? In life after death? These questions could put a strain on any relationship. Okay, okay, so home was a one-off scammer. But come on, who doesn't love an illusion? Look, 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 I'm removing my thumb from my hand. No, you're not. And no, it's not a one-off. Not even close. You know the drill. Home was, surprise, surprise, just one example of a growing trend of the late 1800s. Even more popular were the OG queens of the spiritualism game, Maggie and Kate Fox, who in 1848 in New York dazzled the public with seances where they would rap on a table. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just say they held seances where they would rap? Um... Rapping seances? Uh, oh, no. Yes. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. No! Put your hair and open your purse. Spirits gather round for this higher plane verse. All shaking like making y'all can't compete. Ghostly faces in the dark, don't look at my feet. Spiritual dance and the ghost filled nights. Spiritual dance and the ghost filled nights. Where you gonna go when you're needing the cope? These are seances of hope, reaching high like the Pope. Dealing with the world and the things you can't see, but you better make sure that you can pay the fee. Spiritual dance and the ghost filled nights. Spiritual no, 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 no. Enough. Ugh. Oh, that was simply awful. Never again. Never, never again. I mean... What? I gotta have some fun here. Flex my musical muscles a little this season. Ugh. Now, the Fox sisters became a psychic sensation. However, as the years went on, they fell into a complex divisive pattern in which they would drift between admitting to their bullshit and re-swearing themselves to the cause. Their performances were, of course, the same phony performance pieces typically preying on those who had lost loved ones, separating those grieving folks from their money in exchange for what was, at best, empty closure. Okay, well now, let me just play devil's advocate for a sec here. Grief is tough, Danny boy. People turn to strange places in search of solace. I mean, have you ever lost someone really close to you? Well, no, not yet, really. Exactly, not yet. And yet here you are belittling the ways that people choose to cope with unimaginable pain. So I ask you, so what if it is a performance? 
If it gives them peace, what's the harm? There's no right way to get through the hard moments of life. Who are you to judge what's real closure for someone? Okay, all right, that's fair. Maybe there's no right way. But there is certainly a wide variety of wrong ways. And duping people and charging them for the privilege of being misled is one of them. And I realize this is just my opinion. But when all is said and done, what kind of closure does that really give someone? All I'm saying is that people find peace in different ways, Danny boy. Anyway, the Fox sisters may have been the start of the spiritualist boom in Western society, but there are a couple of other considerations as to how all of this came together. This movement wasn't just some small trend. By the end of the American Civil War, there were around 11 million believers in seances, mediums, and others claiming to reach out to the great beyond. And understandably so. The Civil War devastated a nation right around the same time that spiritualism was taking hold. Millions of families saw loved ones go off to fight in battles from which they would never return. And since they would die far away from home, often those families never got to say goodbye or lay their loved ones to rest in the manner that they felt was appropriate. This was also a time where disease was rampant and child mortality rates were very high. Estimates put the odds of a child passing before the age of five at this time between one in three to one in two. What? No quip on that one? <laughs> no, I uh, pick my battles, thank you very much. Dead kid jokes are uh, bad for business. How economical of you. Anyway, all this loss is going around, all this war and mass death, and people need some way to deal. These circumstances created a huge market for dealing with grief. President Lincoln's wife, Mary, even held a seance in the White House after the death of their young son. And thanks to folks like the Fox sisters and the legitimacy provided by major figures taking part in it all, there was suddenly an enormous demand for what spiritualists were supplying. Yes, classic economics. Hey, look at that. Some of my ideas really are rubbing off on you. Nah, no, easy there. You can keep your rubbing to yourself. But there's also one other piece of the puzzle here. We mentioned Robert Hare, who went from chemist to spiritualist, to more science, and then even more faith, trying to use one to prove the other. Well, about a century before all this, another scientific man of faith, Christian philosopher Emanuel Swedenborg, shook up the world of belief by writing extensively about the concepts of the afterlife, heaven, and general musings on what happens to people when they die. Swedenborg had spent the first five-plus decades of his life as a scientist, performing experiments in an effort to prove the divine through more tangible means. Well, I mean, can't blame the guy for trying to find some sort of proof now, can we? Isn't that what we're after here? Truth? Well, here's the thing. Throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, technology and science had begun to advance at a rapid pace. But in many cases... The scientists performing experiments around this time were still devout religious believers, so their science was often pursued through the lens of these beliefs. Emanuel Swedenborg's ideas helped shift the perception of the more distant, abstract parts of Christianity to something much more close and personal, and therefore much more believable. And when you combine the shift in ideology with the boom of scientific discovery, you get the emerging market for scientific spiritualism, that is, Something more than just faith in the unseen or unknown, but more physical, tangible, something you can see and hear. Spirits that can be summoned on command, tables that move seemingly on their own, sounds of waves and ships in a room in the middle of a city, voices from the great beyond speaking out loud or channeling through a medium. Hey, so-called proof can be a tricky thing, Dan. There's no guarantee people will even buy what you're selling, as I'm sure you know. Well, proof aside, there was belief enough. And back then, at least, that's all that really mattered. The recipe was complete. Widespread grief, a more scientifically-minded people, and of course, a flair for the dramatic. And boom! Spiritualism was in full swing in North America in the late 1800s. Hold on a sec. If these performances were such obvious hoaxes, wouldn't the naysayers, the uh, bullshit callers or whatever, have a pretty easy time debunking them? You'd think so, but come on. Haven't you learned anything yet? The more people pushed back against spiritualists and their shtick, the more they were treated as hostile by the believers. Harry Houdini himself, master of illusion and tricks, spent most of the last years of his life attempting to debunk spiritualism and slow the spread of its belief. 
Houdini was well-versed in the artistry behind performances such as seances, levitations, illusions, sleights of hand, use of props to create movements or sound in what were usually poorly lit rooms. He knew the tricks, and he knew how they were being used to exploit and manipulate grief and superstition. He even testified to Congress in 1926 in an attempt to help pass legislation outlawing fortune-telling. Huh, I never knew Houdini was the litigious type. I thought all he did was escape from straitjackets and take punches to the gut or whatever. Funny you should mention the way he died. Over the course of his crusade against spiritualism, Houdini made countless enemies and was sued dozens of times and was repeatedly threatened by members of the spiritualist community. There were even theories that J. Gordon Whitehead, the man who punched Houdini, ultimately causing his death, was in cahoots with the spiritualist community and may have been sent to get rid of the problematic escape artist. Although, to be fair, this has never been concretely proven. Whoa, whoa, now, flag on the play, Danny boy. If you're going to do a show where you seek truth and dissect the world of deception, I'm afraid I cannot in good conscience allow you to perpetrate baseless conspiracy theories. We've been over this. If you want to make things up and spread fake stories, we can absolutely start a new podcast and make millions pander into the wing nuts. I am all for it. But for now, we stay in our lane. Capiche? Uh, fair enough. It's not surprising, though, that even a guy as well-known as Harry Houdini would receive such harsh backlash from the spiritualist community. We're not talking about your average grift, a few unscrupulous entrepreneurs taking the shady road to make a little coin. No, by the 1920s, the spiritualism movement, psychics, fortune tellers, mediums had become a full-blown belief system, fundamental to the hearts and minds of millions of people, irrevocably tied to raw nerves of grief and belief, religious ideologies, sensitive family dynamics, and dearly held traditions. It goes without saying that attacking anyone's belief system, no matter how outlandish it may seem, rarely goes over well. Oh, as opposed to you, Mr. Truth Teller. Four episodes in and you're still clinging tight to your so-called ideals. Not so flexible yourself now, are you? <laughs> what? Come on, I'm totally flexible. I'm doing research, asking questions, and I can touch my toes without bending my knees. I mean, look at the wide variety of topics we've covered so far. But you know what? Maybe you've got a point. It's good to hear how both sides of an issue this complex. Even old Houdini, who was so adamantly opposed to spiritualism and its practitioners, managed to remain friends with a few of them over the years. Take, for instance, doctor and author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of one of history's great rational thinkers, Sherlock Holmes. Doyle, much like Emanuel Swedenborg, spent a hefty portion of his later years pushing spiritualist theories in stark contrast to his famous literary deduction enthusiast. Now there's a question for you. Why do these dudes always go all ghosts and spirits in their later years after a lifetime of Sherlock Holmesian rationality? They just get senile in those twilight years? Or maybe they get scared of the inevitable end of it all? Need to know there's more than eternal nothingness waiting for them? I mean, geez, I could get behind that. Uh, maybe a bit of both. Who am I to say? Maybe they were spiritual people most of their lives anyways. And hey, people change. And unfortunately, so would Houdini's relationship with Doyle. Like I said, eventually, any relationship can feel the strain of one side dunking on the other's beliefs. In the years before Houdini's death, he and Doyle would wind up in a media cold war over their opposing views. And they weren't the only ones embroiled in this debate. In fact, it was extremely common that men and women of science were big believers in the spiritual side of things too. Marie and Pierre Curie evolutionary biologist Alfred Russell, psychologist William James, all believers. Even Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell experimented with, quote, tools of spiritual transmission. Oh, man. Can you imagine being able to just telepathically connect with someone instead of thumbing our way through these clumsy old interwebs? Yeah, I think I prefer a little distance, to be honest. Oh, and there was also Sir Oliver Lodge, who invented key pieces of the telegraph and played a big role in the invention of the radio. He believed seances could be sort of a spiritual telegraph, bridging our physical world with the great beyond. All of this to say, science and faith have become intertwined, and many scientific thinkers believed their methods could finally prove their beliefs. There were deep religious roots in all of this, heaven, afterlife, angels, all that good stuff. 
Harry Houdini was Jewish, which meant that much like a Kanye West tweetathon, there were some obvious undertones of anti-Semitism directed at him during his fight against the movement. Religious persecution being what it was in America at the time, Houdini believed that exposing spiritualists as frauds might bring about the same sort of backlash. After all, in previous centuries, heresy and witchcraft had been harshly rooted out and punished to a fanatical degree. Surely, society would root out these charlatans of self-proclaimed sorcery the same way. But no, times had changed. This particular strain of hocus-pocus was too well-loved, too ingrained in Western culture. Hell, one such mystic, Marsha Champney, who went by Madame Marsha, held seances with multiple first ladies of the United States. Side note, she had also claimed to have foreseen Houdini's death and told him so when they spoke at his congressional testimony. Ooh, spooky. Maybe there's something to that murder conspiracy after all. Hmm. Could be. Conspiracy theories sure are fun, aren't they? Point is, Houdini's efforts in the end may have been futile. He was even told by one of the spiritualist movement's leaders, Jane B. Coates, that there was, quote, no point to his hearings with Congress, since most members of that same Congress were believers. And I mean, really, if the First Ladies are against you, what chance do you have? When Houdini died in 1926... You mean murdered by a conspiracy of psychics and mediums. <sighs> uh, yeah, sure. Go nuts. But before his death, Houdini promised his wife, Bess, that if all this medium mumbo-jumbo was real, he would contact her from beyond and speak their secret password. Holding true to that promise, Bess would hold a seance on the anniversary of Harry's death, which happened to be October 31st, Halloween, every year for 10 years to give her husband the chance to reach out. And in 1936, after still receiving no mystical messages, Bess declared, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man. jeez. Oh, that is a heartbreaking story of two lovers separated by worlds. It's a little swayzy, actually. No, 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 no. No reusing tropes from previous episodes. Keep it fresh. Isn't that what you're always telling me? <laughs> Very good. I was, uh, I was just testing you. You passed. <clears throat> Proceed. All right. So here we are. We've laid out the foundation of how spiritualism and psychics came to be so popular. We've looked at the battleground between believers and skeptics that played out in the early 20th century. Oh, I know what's about to happen. You're going to pick a more modern example of this scam and then drive it all home. Ha! I see the formula. I know how the sausage is made. Behold my mystical powers of prophecy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Modern examples of spiritualism, and then we bring it all home. All that and more coming up next on Hard No. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Wait, wait, what, what? No, you you just did my thing. <laughs> gotcha. Not so fun when it just gets dropped on you, eh? Bet you didn't psychically see that coming, did you? <laughs> yeah, smart guy. We'll see how you like it if I stole your hosting duties, you sneaky little son of a... What are we saying tonight, squad? I am bored AF. I want to try that new TikTok thing. The one where you give yourself AI-generated animated boobs with your fist? No, the one where you hang upside down off a bridge by your belt. Yes, sounds scary. <laughs> That's like the whole point. <laughs> okay, boomers. That is all, like, so chuggy. If you guys want what's giving mad scary, you should download the Beyond Board app. Beyond Board? What's that? OMG, you haven't heard? There's, like, this new tech that lets you commune with, like, spirits from the great beyond or whatever. Like, totally just from your phone. Bro, you mean like a Ouija board? Shit, that is so mid. Physical objects, like, ain't it, chief. Spirits are, like, non-material inhabitants of the digital spiritual metasphere. This app just, like, hits down different for higher beings. Everyone knows that. Facts. Sounds Gucci. So where do we get this app? Just download it from the app store. It costs nothing and honestly has been living rent-free in my head all week. You just like type your questions, send it, and wait for a reply from the spirit world. That slaps. Can I like talk to my unalive grandma? I like totally miss her or whatever. Like I am in my feels. LOL. Of course. There's a dope as hell platinum tier subscription for that. Just $9.99 a month. Period. All right, bet. But let's say, like, what if 
I couldn't like afford the monthly fee. Say less, fam. That is light work. Just watch a couple quick ads and you start earning board coins, which can eventually be cashed in to ask questions to specific spirits, like your unalive grandma. Oh, don't forget, for Gold Tier members, you can upgrade the app to answer your seance-related questions in like a synthesized voice of your choice. Just imagine, your grandma could speak to you in the voice of like Cardi B. No cap? No cap at all, fam. No cap at all. Get the Onboard. Get the dub. The Onboard app. Download today from the App Store, Google Play, or wherever you usually get your stupid $3.99 tap a tap a time waster screen junk. Some restrictions apply. May not provide actual communication with the great beyond. Celebrity voices are not guaranteed to be genuine. Cardi B does not endorse this application or the practitioners of mystic medium magic. To the best of our knowledge, all sales final, all deaths permanent. All persons living or dead are entirely coincidental and should not be construed. All right, all right, enough tomfoolery. Time for the whole modern context, bring it on home thing you do. Chop, chop. Hey, you know, I actually really don't appreciate you knowing exactly what I'm going to do here. I mean, is this thing so predictable already? Oh, come on. It's a good formula. People need structure and consistency. It creates a feeling of familiarity, which, let's face it, buddy boy, we need... This show is already weird enough as it is. Maybe you have been hanging around me a little too much. You're starting to talk like me. Hey, maybe I'm just a good listener. I'm out here hanging on your every word, despite all your clever little jabs. Well, here we are in the modern day, and spiritualism is alive and well in many forms. Believe it or not, the mysteries of life, death, and the universe still have not been solved. Which means there are still plenty of golden opportunities for slick salesmen and women to provide us with all the answers. Now, a super obvious culprit would be any number of organized religions. Careful. I, I know, I know. I won't bother digging too deep on that one. But you got to admit, there are definite through lines from some of the examples we've talked about to some of the bigger, more elaborate modern day churches. In particular, the shameless payment model facets of worship like, oh, I don't know, televangelists or, dare I mention, Scientology. You can't go talking about them like that. They'll send someone to gut punch you to death, like Houdini. (sighs) Well, I'm glad one of us has found something to believe in. But all right, we're going to steer away from that shitstorm. Much like our previous poster boy of for-profit health, Joe Mercola, we need a shining example of psychic scammery. Someone who really personifies the modern spiritualist movement. What? Don't look at me. You're going to have to find this one yourself. Oh, man, but there's so many to choose from. We could go with the biggest douche in the universe, John Edward. Or perhaps Hollywood medium, Tyler Henry. Or how about something a little more broad, like the Psychic Friends Network, which operated as a paid psychic telephone service in the 1990s before moving online, like any savvy business entering the internet age. But I think we need to find ourselves someone that truly fits the build of what we're talking about here. Well, hit me. I don't got all day. Well, I don't exactly have anyone yet. Don't you think you ought to do a little more research than Dano? Or maybe you could use a little guidance? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Relax, relax. I think I know just the thing. What? What what is this? What, uh, an unknown number? No, 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 no way. Hey, come on, could be important. No, it's probably spam. Just I'm just gonna let it ring through, okay? Just come on, pick pick it up, pick it up, put it on speaker. <sighs> Hello. Hello. We've been trying to reach you. Oh, I knew it. About your need for spiritual guidance. What? Uh, oh, wait, what? Do not be afraid. All your questions will be answered in time, and we do mean all of them. No, 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 no. I'm hanging up now. Wait, 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 wait. Let's see what they have to say. This could help with the episode. Maybe it's a sign from beyond. (laughs) In these uncertain times, we all need a guiding light to show us the way forward. That's where the Spirit Squad comes in. Spirit Squad? What is this, some kind of cheerleader hotline? Shut up, shut up. I want to hear this. They sound nice. The Spirit Squad is here to help solve the great mysteries of life. Jobs. Travel. Romance. Is he really the one for me? Should I vote for Nebraska? Why do I get hungry whenever I hear the Ryan Carey song? Our network of accredited spiritual advisors are available 22 hours a day, 
six and a half days a week. Whenever you feel the hand of the universe reaching out to touch you. Wait, who's touching? Allow the spirit squad to verbally guide that hand to the appropriate corporeal region. What the f- Hold on, is this a recording? This is only a recording. Oh, son of a- Spiritually slide into our DMs on Insta today to receive a free consultation. Or send us an ethereal email to spiritnow at spiritsquad.org and let one of our experts of the higher planes reach out through the cosmic realms and schedule an appointment with your soul self via Zoom call. It costs you nothing, and almost practically everyone is approved. Hmm, okay. Now what's the catch, you think? Ah, always with the cynicism. Free consult? That's a good deal. Uh-huh. Wait for it. Once you are approved, the Spirit Squad will specifically tailor a comprehensive program just for you to realign you upon your proper spiritual path and bring your physical self your higher self, and your overall universal flow into a single harmonious unison. Programs start at just $59.99 per hour. <laughs> there it is. The mystical fee that must be paid. Sorry, but how exactly is this going to help us figure things out? Perhaps you're worried about a career change. Oh, okay. They're still going. Perhaps a shakeup of your love life. Oh man, oh man, wrap it up, folks. Perhaps you're making a podcast and are unsure of how to proceed with the narrative you're currently weaving. Wait, what? You see? I told you to shut up and listen. Perhaps you should consider that the direction you wish to go is already known to you. Perhaps the subject of your focus is an individual you read about long ago while smoking weed on a balcony after a late night writing session. But how the f- how did you know- This is just a recording. I cannot give you any new information. But, but you just did. You just- you... All your questions will be answered once you sign up for a free consultation. All right, that's enough of that. Well? Well, what? I'm waiting for an apology and maybe, I don't know, a thank you. Oh, so we're just going to sit here and act like that wasn't completely insane? How do they know that I... And and how do you keep... Tick-tock on the clock, buddy. Focus. The important question here is, you got a mark now or what? I, I, uh, yeah. I actually think I, I do. Well, all right, buddy boy. Light up the bat signal and let's get cooking. Batman doesn't cook, dummy. He's got a butler. <clears throat> anyway, so Sylvia Brown was born on October 19th, 1936 in Kansas City, Missouri. According to Brown, she began to experience spiritual visions at the tender age of three. She claimed her grandmother had also been a psychic medium, one who had likely lived and made a living through the age of the previously mentioned spiritualism boom. Her great uncle, as it happens, also apparently a psychic and also very much into UFOs. Hey, come on. Sometimes lights move weird in the sky. I swear this one time I was bird watching at night when- Another time, maybe? Now, after spending 18 years as a Catholic school teacher, Brown, then 38 years old, finally found her calling. She began to give psychic readings. In 1986, she founded a Christian church in California, which became known as the Society of Novus Spiritus, and around the same time, founded her own business, Sylvia Brown Enterprises. Always got to make sure you incorporate. That's what I've been trying to tell you. But Brown would go on to take the route that is, to me, the true American dream. She took her new way of helping people, spun it into a profitable business, and finagled her face all over TV and radio spreading her message far and wide through various forms of media. If she were alive today, she would absolutely have a podcast. Ah, but does someone who traverses the spiritual plane ever truly die, Dan? Yes, yes they do. And as of today, Sylvia Brown Enterprises is now Sylvia Brown Group Incorporated, run by one of her sons, Chris, and their website is, you want to guess? Filled with helpful tips and tools to better yourself and guide your spiritual path? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. And also seminars, memberships, books, DVDs, spiritual jewelry, even Sylvia Brown memorabilia. 
Remember, there's always a buck to be made. People gotta eat, Danny boy. We've been over this. Nice lady spent decades providing spiritual guidance to countless wayward individuals. She deserved to make a living off of her, uh, special skills, didn't she? Unfortunately, it was not as rosy as all that. Sylvia Brown was also a shameless and relentless fraud who, as we've been exploring here all episode, preyed on people's grief and loss, all while writing and selling over 40 books on paranormal topics and running that classic form of grifting capitalism that we're becoming awfully cozy with here on Hard No. <sighs> well, all right. I guess I know what's next. Let me just get comfortable over here. <sighs> okay, shoot. Regale me with all the terrible things old Sylvia got up to. First off, Sylvia Brown made numerous appearances on the Montel Williams show, where she made some pretty wild predictions about ongoing high-profile kidnapping and missing persons cases. Like in 2002, when 11-year-old Sean Hornbeck was kidnapped in Missouri. Brown linked up with Montel to inform Hornbeck's parents that their son was dead and that he had been abducted by a dark-skinned Hispanic man with dreadlocks. Sean was found alive four years later. Turns out he'd been kidnapped by a white man with short hair. <laughs> yeah, that does not sound so good. But hey, we all uh, have bad days at the office. Well, giddy up, partner, because it only gets better. Brown also stated in 2002 that Holly Cruson, who had been missing since 1995, was then working in Hollywood as an exotic dancer. Dental records from a body found in 1996 were later matched to Cruson. Meaning, at the time of Brown's prediction, the victim had already been dead for six years. In 1999, six-year-old Opal Joe Jennings was abducted in Texas. In search of answers, Jennings' grandmother went on Montel's show. Montel, of course, brought on Sylvia Brown, who told a grieving grandmother that her granddaughter was alive, but living in slavery in Japan. Later, the discovery and autopsy of Jennings' body showed that the child had, in fact, died within hours of the kidnapping. Anything from you over there? <clears throat> Just, uh, picking my spots again. Brown continued her hot streak of incorrect readings for the disappearances of Linda McClelland in 2002, Ryan Catcher in 2004, and Amanda Berry in 2004 as well. Barry's mother, Luanna Miller, was told by Brown on, you guessed it, an episode of Montel Williams that her daughter was dead. Miller died of a heart failure a couple years later. And yet, years after that, in 2013, Amanda Berry was found alive in Cleveland when a passerby heard screaming coming from inside a house. Berry, as it turned out, along with multiple other victims over the years, had been held captive in the basement of that house. Shame that Brown's psychic visions weren't more accurate. You might even say that she irresponsibly derailed the course of an investigation that might have gone otherwise without the intervention of her so-called powers. Thoughts? Comments? Quips? Not presently. No. <clears throat> Pray continue. Alrighty. In 2000, journalist Stephen Brill looked into Brown's work as a psychic detective and found that of the 35 investigations Sylvia had assisted with, in 21 of them, the information she provided was, quote, too vague to verify. And in the other 14, she had played no useful role at all. And yet, throughout her career, she continued unimpeded, continually appearing on national television, making wildly inaccurate predictions about horrific crimes, causing families false hope or false grief, and all the while she went about her life, apparently never being shamed or called out for her crimes. She even told Larry King once that she had foreseen her own death and that it would occur at the age of 88. She died at the age of 77. Hey, pretty close, though. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty close to dunking a basketball. But in most things, close ain't it. Horseshoes and hand grenades. I've heard that one. <laughs> and side note, can we just stop for a quick moment and appreciate Montel Williams for the wildly irresponsible tool that he is? The man had Sylvia Brown on his show again and again for nearly two decades, giving her a consistent platform to run her scams, despite her atrocious predictions and the mountain of grief she left in her wake nearly every single time. Ooh, you want to do a little mini episode on Montel? Maybe target daytime talk show hosts as a whole? Sounds like you're onto something. Yeah, uh, maybe another time. 
Sylvia Brown even had the audacity to once claim that she had a success rate of 87 to 90% with her Montel show predictions. An analysis of her predictions put her actual success rate closer to um, zero. Okay, okay, okay. I am willing to admit you may be right. Sylvia Brown was a bad apple. You know, the whole point of the saying about bad apples is that they spoil the batch, right? And anyway, why are you always fighting so hard to defend these scam artists? Haven't you been following the theme of this whole show? Hey, I'm just here to play devil's advocate. Challenge your perspectives a little bit. Don't want it to get all echo chamber in here, do we? All right, well, all right. Fair enough. And on that note, let me ask you this, smart guy. Now we're coming to the end of this dealie. Where do we land? What was the point of all this slagging on people's beliefs? I mean, come on, Danny boy. Some people have nowhere to turn to, no way to cope. Some people get stuck in the deep, dark chasm of their own thoughts. They need an escape. They need hope. You of all people should know a little about that. <laughs> well, I mean... You mean a lot of things, I'm sure. But what are you bringing to the table here? Hate to say it, Pally, but it's easy to be a skeptic when you can't offer anything in its place. It's easy to take and much harder to give. You feel me? Uh, I... Sure. Yeah. I think I follow. Don't you know anyone who believes in spirits and psychics? Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. Sure I do. So? You're gonna sit here and disparage their personal beliefs? No, 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 no. Look, I don't claim to know what's out there or to have all the answers to all these heady questions. I'm certainly not trying to impose my views on anyone else, but I'm also not going to sit here and act like there isn't a horrible, predatory side to all of this. I'm just here to offer context, you know, to point out the techniques and trends of these fraudsters, help people make informed decisions about life, and when the time comes, death. We may not be able to prove if certain things are true, but we can prove that certain things are untrue. And when we do, by God, we should be able to call it what it is and hopefully find some better, healthier ways to deal with it. Such as? I don't know. For starters, how about a more robust, accessible, affordable mental health care system? Resources for people to cope with loss in a practical, healthy way without having to resort to all this mysticism. Coping with grief shouldn't be a whim and a prayer, a helpless cry into the unknown. It most certainly shouldn't be a for-profit industry. Speaking to a lost family member one last time may be a powerful idea, I get it, but it's not based in any provable reality. It's definitely not a healthy way to grieve. Maybe I'd just like to see more people accept loss, try to work through it, come to terms with the fact that when our loved ones are gone, they're gone. And what if you're wrong? What if there is something more to all this? <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not what you'd consider a believer by any stretch. <laughs> Could have fooled me. And again, I know I've been extremely fortunate to make it this long without experiencing the worst kind of grief yet in my life. Maybe that makes it easier for me to take a critical lens to psychic spirits and the whole mystic arts. And hey, my point is that's fine, Danny boy. The true truth is nobody knows what happens after we die or what this whole mysterious life thing is about. But let people believe what they want, long as it doesn't do any harm. You know what? You're right. In fact, that sentence sums up my stance pretty well as long as it doesn't do harm. Problem is, the spiritualists, the psychics, the Sylvia Browns, they are doing harm. I may not believe in their answers, but I'm also not claiming to know the answers myself, and most importantly, it's free to hear me say so. Think what you will, but the information I'm offering here is researched, backed up by sources. I'm not telling you I can commune with your dead son and then charging you a fee for the privilege. That is my grievance. Sure, but you still want to provide people with something tangible, right? Something they can take away from all this, maybe help them know the world around them a little bit better? I do, yeah. But maybe the point of contention here is that there are some things we simply can't know. And I think we as a species need to be okay with that. Not everything needs an answer. Maybe the meaning of life or the question of what happens after we die Maybe those things are just 
unknowable. Hmm. And how does that sit with you, Mr. Quest for Truth? I guess, well, I guess it scares me as much as it does anyone else. The difference is, I think I've made something resembling peace with not knowing everything about everything. Maybe that's ironic given what we're doing here, I know, but so much of this is basic human psychology. It's been a through line of this whole show for us so far. Like most of these behaviors, it goes back to the early days of human civilization. We're programmed to desperately try to make sense of the world around us and the inner landscape of our own minds. Coping with loss is arguably the hardest part of that. Since we could first think conscious thoughts, we've struggled to comprehend the intangible void that comes with grief. Things break. Buildings fall. We understand that easily enough. But how can a conscious being, well, be, and then one day, well, not be? It's the ultimate reminder. Loss can be more than just the physical matter. When someone dies, we lose something more, something we can't explain, what some people might call the soul. And into that unknown, that vacuum left behind, swoops our predators. From Emanuel Swendenborg to the Fox sisters to Sylvia Brown to the modern-day Hollywood medium guest spot on the Kardashians to spiritualist influencers selling resolution in the form of DVDs or cold readings, psychics are as popular today as ever. Countless people still go to them when they feel lost or confused or grief-stricken. Many of us consult horoscopes and self-proclaimed experts in hopes they can guide us through the journey of life. And it makes sense. The need for something more meaningful, more soulful, is understandable, especially in an age where dehumanizing science and technology has boomed. And yet, even after all that, we still feel that big, empty void inside us that we can't figure out quite how to fill. Right. So, is it really so hard to understand that people want to know the unknowable? Aren't we all on some kind of quest for truth? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is different. Sure, sure. I'm just saying, maybe not as different as you'd like to believe. Maybe not. You know, in his novel Trinity, author Leon Uris wrote, How much light, how much truth have we shut out by blind obedience? Did we require the false hopes to ease the pain of living? Is there an inherent weakness in most people that requires a mystery to keep them going? Yeesh. Heavy reading material. I prefer Stephen King. Makes me think is all. What we could have been, as a species I mean, without all the fear, the religion and magic being used to confuse and use and control. I wonder if it was ever even possible. Maybe we need it. Gods, ghosts, mystical answers to impossible questions. Maybe without it we would, I don't know, self-destruct. So, I guess I ought to ask... After all this, what do you believe, Danny boy? Personally, I guess I believe all we have is the here and now. Assume there are no second chances, no reaching back from the great beyond to correct past mistakes, to say things left unsaid. I believe we should make the best of our lives while we're here, I guess. And if there was a little more belief in that, and a little less in heaven and hell, and spirits and fates, and fortunes set in stone, well, then maybe the world might just become a better, saner place to live and die. Hmm. Well, maybe you could use some spiritual guidance after all. I'm not here for any of that. I was just wondering if I could ask. I've been having this recurring dream, like, every single night. You know anything about dreams? Perhaps. Tell me about this dream. Uh, it's, it's silly, I guess, but I'm on my phone. I'm trying to sign into my banking app, right? But for some reason, I can't remember my password. It won't let me in. It keeps telling me to verify my identity, but... but it, I can't. And all the while, there's this shadow creeping over me like... 
like someone's sneaking up behind me or something, you know, like trying to rob me, you know? When I turn around to confront them, there's no one there. And the shadow just disappears. And, and then finally, when I get into my account, my money's all gone. Like every penny, I'm, I'm dead broke. And right as the panic hits me, the, the fear, I wake up. Cold sweat, heart pounding. So does, does that mean anything? It means what you believe it means. <laughs> sure. I guess the obvious answer is I'm worried about money. I'm, I'm worried about who I am, my place in this world. But what about this, the shadow? You know, who's that supposed to be? Why does it disappear on me? Perhaps you should not be asking who and why, but how it vanishes and where it vanishes to. A shadow disappears when there is only light remaining or only dark. <laughs> You know what? Never mind. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry you wasted your time. Once you have learned the truth, you will find the answers you seek. You will find your shadow. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, thanks. Certainly. That'll be $20. <sighs> Keep the change. Hard No is written and produced by Dan Felton and David Felton. Original music was produced by David Felton. You can find more of his work at dfeltmusic on Instagram. Hard No's artwork was created by the talented Q, who you can find at the Mighty Q Works on Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks this episode to Jeff Feitner, who's on the socials at FightPro and has all your podcast production needs at FightPro.com. And to Audra Stevenson from the Gateleapers podcast, which you can find on Twitter and TikTok at Gateleapers. To follow Hard No on social media, follow at Disinformed Dan on Twitter and Instagram. Additional notes and sources can be found at disinformed.ca slash hard no. Questions, comments, or concerns? Email me at dan at disinformed.ca. And if you like what you hear, pass it on. And thanks for listening.